Hello out there, we're on the air. It's Hockey Night Tonight. It's the More Than Just Code podcast. This week we ponder the significance of Apple's upcoming October 6th Cut Press Conference. It's been far too long. Will it be a new iPad or new Macs? What mountains will Apple climb next? We also take an overdue look at Estimote's iBeacon implementation, and we discuss the trilateralization of electrons and their effect on the disappearance of Star Trek hardware. Uh, hey everybody, welcome again to the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra, I'm with IT Guy Technologies here in Toronto, and I'm joined by Aaron Vey of Innovative in Whitby, Ontario. How's it going? And I'm also joined by uh, Jaime Lopez, who is gainfully employed by OfferUp in Seattle, Washington. Howdy. And we're also joined by Mark Rubens, who is at home in San Jose from SmapSoft. And Mark, say hello. Hey, everybody. Okay, so uh, we were going to just gonna do some little bit, little bit of follow-up um, before we get going here. And does anybody have a follow-up they want to jump in with here? Yes. Go for it. All right. Well, let's talk Giver. about... Giver. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Canadian. Giver. That, that, that's not even Canadian. It is now. I just, uh, I just okay, claimed just it Just because it, you are Canadian. Okay. Never mind. <laughs> okay. So a few weeks ago, we talked about iOS 8 adoption, and it was on its normal trajectory of stratospheric performance and that came to a halt this last week we've seen uh, reports uh, mark you've been pointing us to the mixed panel results uh, of late right correct yep. and we've been seeing that that graph not climbing anymore over the past week it's hovering at about 46 percent why do we think that is why why just just to, for for context sake actually i saw somewhere that um ios 6 or sorry 7 this time last year was in the 60 percentage range uh, at this time after its introduction. Mm-hmm. So there's there's no question that the, um, the the growth rate is really stunted compared to previous years. Um, why? 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 So just today, actually, John Gruber published a piece, and I think it uh, is an excellent explanation for what's going on. Um, the initial the initial guess was that. Uh, people had gotten wind of the fact that there were some bugs in iOS 8. Right. And uh, I think I, I even mentioned my wife last week or the week before uh, holding off on iOS 8 because she'd heard of the 801 update and how I got screwed by that. Right. Uh, as it turns out, after we recorded that podcast, uh, I happened to notice that she had upgraded to iOS 8. <laughs> Oh, okay. Which kind of stole my thunder a little bit. And I said, hey, you upgraded. And she said, yeah, I just, just saw the thing and I went for it. What the heck? And, of course, it worked out just fine for her. Um, but the more common complaint that we're hearing and the one that Gruber focuses on in his column on DaringFireball.net uh, today uh, was the fact that the over-the-air update requires 5 gigabytes of free space on the device. And a lot of people don't have that, uh, especially in an era where Apple is still selling 8-gigabyte iPhones, um, and even the iPhone 6 today uh, starts at 16 gigs, which is not a lot, especially if you need 5 gigs free on an 8-gig phone. Think about that. Yeah, no, I actually had that problem myself, and then I was mildly surprised to discover if I downloaded it through iTunes, I, all of a sudden, I didn't have to go and do all that cleanup because, yeah, I, 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 I was no way I was going to be able to find five gigs of free space on my phone. 
it, it, it's it's a crazy requirement, um, and I don't know why th- that is the case, but and and why you can get away with plugging it into iTunes and doing it. Maybe it uses the Mac's storage to um, unpack it and uh, and move the files onto the device. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, that's I probably think that's the case. It. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, unfortunate. Uh, it would be nice to find some way around that, but. There it is. In fact, actually, I think the better answer is for Apple to ship devices with more RAM. You know, they're just not RAM, you know, of course, storage space. Yeah. Um, so that's, I think, uh, very interesting uh, and unfortunate. I hope Apple can do something about that because this is this is like one of their tentpole stats, you know, right up there with customer satisfaction is uh, market penetration of a particular OS release. And, you know, the next event, under normal circumstances, you would expect even in October, uh, which we'll talk about later, the October event, for Tim Cook to come on stage and, you know, say in his gravelly voice, we're seeing incredible numbers for our iOS 8 adoption, and here's a here's a chart showing it going straight up. That sort of thing. Mm. That was my Tim Cook. You like that? It was okay. Awesome. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to work on that and come back to you next week. Mm-hmm. There's also, I think, not a lot that's really compelling for just the everyday user in, in iOS 8 compared to iOS 7. When iOS 7 came out, I mean, it was such a different look and feel and all the exactly, design yeah. change that everyone had to go out and get it because it, all of a sudden iOS 6 was really obviously out of date. Yeah. Uh, but it's not so much the case with iOS 8, right? To the to the average user who's not going to be using HealthKit or HomeKit or, or any of that stuff, uh, what's the real must have and i would say it i'm not sure there is one at this point yeah and there's a lot of there's a lot of um i had actually actually heard the same thing and i was going to mention that 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 i think the look and feel difference between ios 8 and ios 7 is is insignificant but it was a huge difference between you know ios 6 ios 6 was looking very tired at that point in time um but i was going to say like there's been a lot of um pundits complaining about some of the things in ios 8 i actually just turned off predictive text uh, on my uh, my six plus today because I was just getting annoyed with Apple changing what I'm saying when I'm writing a sentence. You know, if you don't go back and look at what you what you wrote and they've changed, you know, the weather outside to monkey butts or something like that. You know, it's it's crazy, or they're just dropping words and making me sound like a, a buffoon. Um, not that I don't always sound like a buffoon, <laughs> but um, God, I know what you I know exactly what you mean with that too. That drives me crazy. Yeah, I mean, where you could be I, typing I, a second word and it goes back and replaces two words ago. Yeah, and it's funny. I, I've noticed a lot of times, like I, I don't know. I really have to go back and think about this because when I even when I'm writing emails on 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 uh, Mavericks, I find that sometimes they're helping me type is a little too intrusive. You know, a, a lot love very often I'll type the word "your" and it comes out as "you," and I sound like a buffoon if you read a sentence like that, right? Um, what What about the word suggestions on the keyboard? Do you guys use that? After I'm talking about the pre- pre- preemptive uh, word sentence thing, right? Uh, but, no, but no, where you, where think, you select yeah. the word on the top of the keyboard. Yeah. Well, We're talking I'm, about uh, autocorrect, right? The autocorrect where it goes back and fixes what you've typed and right. does it Well, it's not, so much, it's, not so much, it's not so much autocorrect. I think, it, I think a lot of times it, it's a bit of both because um, I don't know if you've noticed on the left-hand side when you type, start typing you know, a couple of words together, it kind of thinks what your next word is going to be. And it'll, it'll, you know, because, you know, I'm, sometimes I'm typing in, in a, at, at speed and I'm not, you know, I'm not a touch typer, so I may, may misspell a word or two. And then it just sort of thinks that maybe I'm talking about monkey butts, you know, or whatever the rocket sauce or whatever the, what it thinks I'm trying to type. It, it, I, one of my main complaints about iOS for a long time has been, 
you know how you know how it stores words that you use on a regular basis over time, um, and they become the sort of go-to words when it tries to help you with autocorrect. Is I wish there was a way to clear that out, you know, because I've always updated my phone from one OS to the other, and it's always been the same profile. So I, I suspect that my autocorrect profile is carried along with me, and very often I'm testing phones in different languages, right? So you know, words that are acceptable in Spanish or in French, you know, all of a sudden start showing up in my English typing, which is really annoying. Yeah, that's definitely doable. You can do that. Um, How would one do that, Aaron? Ah, uh, well, it's uh, it's in. It'll the be reset. it'll be in the show notes. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll send you the link, and you can add it to the show. Oh, notes. it's going to be the reset my phone again. I hate having. You're not reset resetting the whole phone. phone. No, no, not that. It's not. It's the same area. But uh, yeah, it's okay. not. It's not resetting your whole phone, which will not destroy all of your iCloud documents. <laughs> I, you know, I'm sorry. The, the whole, did you turn it off and turn it on again was funny when it was Windows. It's not so much funny now that it's in the Apple world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So yeah. for me, um, I actually do use the um, the suggestions on top of the keyboard, and I've noticed that it gets better and better over time. So uh, granted, I'm not trying to do, you know, different languages and whatnot, which would understandably mess up that. Um, so I guess in your case, if you're typing monkey butts statistically more often than the average person, that's probably why it's coming up, right? Well, I also find, too, and I, and I was telling you guys before the, we started recording, I listened to the Accidental podcast this week for the first time just to see what the fuss was about. And they had a whole show on how you hold your iPhone, right? And because now that the phone is that much bigger... It's you know I still find that if I if I want if I really want to get down to doing some work I pull out my iPhone 5s left hand one thumb and away I go I'm I'm t- whipping away at speed when I pick up the six it's like trying to hold onto the black monolith in you know 2001 and it's wobbly and you know I, I have to almost use two hands to type and and so all of a sudden my my typing environment if you can call it that has changed right um, so switching I mean part I guess part of the problem is I'm switching back and forth between two devices but. And I never had a problem going from an iPad to an iPhone before um, with this kind of stuff. But I find that the the six plus is so wobbly in my hand that you know, depending on what I'm doing, it's difficult to work with, right? Well, I think the nature of the six plus as a device is you've really got to stop thinking of it like an iPhone and more like a smaller iPad Mini. Yeah, you know, and yeah. it, think of it as a two-handed device. Yeah. Well, and and to, to be honest with you, I'm totally, totally cannot wait. For screen for apps that take take advantage of the landscape mode in iPhone six plus, I love that mode, you know. Hmm. So yeah, yeah, it's, I, I, and it's maybe something you guys should, should play around with on the on the simulator because you don't have sixes because you have the sixes, right? Right. Uh, the six plus, the whole ability to, to go to the split screen in mail or you know, and to and to go full screen when you're reading a message, you know, or in Safari and that kind of stuff is really it's a really cool experience, hmm. you know. Yeah, I, I believe it is. You know, um, I've been working, or I was working on an app that uh, was for the iPhone, and I was I was actually doing that, creating a landscape split screen view, not mm-hmm. for the six. This is this predates the six plus. Yeah. So, in, in in creating that view, I thought it was really interesting and useful, and I don't think it requires a six plus to see the benefit of a split screen view no, in I, landscape exactly I, I was actually surprised when i when i ran the an app that I was writing on, on the simulator uh with with size classes and i when i rotated into on you know six plus the six simulator not the six plus simulator and then found that the, the rotation didn't do the split screen thing like i was expecting it to do right 
Yes, of course. Yeah. yeah, we're going to see a lot of interesting new things come out once developers finally figure out how to deal with it. And, and you know, I think it's actually valid to even ask, though, um, because not not every phone is going to be a 6 Plus, right? And, right. you know, should we actually create a view specifically for a 6 Plus? Or is it just going to be the uh, the landscape iPad version? Yeah, you know? yeah. By the way, have we talked about the the size classes, compact, compact, regular compact, or any, and any, any at all? Because I noticed, I, I saw something online. Um, have we talked about it? Well, sure, we've talked about it uh, early, I think, early on in our Okay, history. well, I, I, found, I found a graphic online that I thought was really interesting. I, I think I sent it to Mark in an email, but... Um, I was surprised to find I was trying to when I was trying to work out the size classes thing I was having an issue and I sent sent it to Mark to have a look at and you know he sent back a, f- a corrected version of it, but what I didn't realize was that that the um, wide view in landscape and the sh- and so wide compact is actually the iPhone six plus uh, size class whereas the compact compact is meant to be iPhone. Have you guys seen that? An iPad, uh, sorry, an iPhone six plus in landscape is a regular horizontal class. Is that is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yes, I think so. Yeah. That that's what it is. Yes. Yeah, but yeah. I, I, I had, that didn't seem that wasn't really intuitive to me from a from a you know. D- a lot of people don't find the size classes to be terribly intuitive. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's just something you've got to get in your head. <laughs> so the 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 nut is is that an iPhone in landscape. Anything but the 6 Plus. In landscape, an iPhone has a compact horizontal size class. Right. And the the difference with the 6 Plus is that it's got a regular horizontal size class when it's in landscape. Right. And it's the only device currently that does, right? That's right. Yeah. The only iPhone that does. Um, of course, every iPad is regular in both dimensions. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to post the... Uh, I'm gonna, I stole an image off the web. I'm going to put it on... Um, I'll have to attribute it, I guess, and I, but I'll have to put it on the show notes to show what we're talking about. Here, it which is. leads to speculation. Some people wonder if there's going to be a third size class, you know, right. compact, regular, and large. And uh, we can come back when we talk about the October sixteenth event. So I found some uh, interesting old um, um, stuff on a Unity three D forum the other day when I was looking around for I forgot what I was looking for but this came up and I read it it was interesting it was older posts probably from last year sometime it was uh, these guys had posted some results once Amp Annie had started reporting on uh, Android um, device uh, sales on Google Play and I think it was about last year in October or somewhere around there that they did that. Um, and they were finding that the the people willingness to pay for things or you know willingness to buy things they were finding getting they were getting much more uh, better results from selling a product on Apple App Store than they were on the um, Google Play. Uh. Yeah, if you want the the headline here from this this blog, sorry blog, it's a forum post. Yeah. Um, the headline features of this are this study from App Annie showing that iOS sales tend to be roughly three x that of Android, and sixty percent right. of Android sales were in Asia. Oh well, yeah. Wow, those are interesting updated stats because and, and and talk about stalling. That actually is is a stall there because not that long ago um, it was an eight x difference in favor of iOS. Oh really? And then four x from one year to the next, and so I think that was twenty twelve. So I expected it to be you know two x and then one to one by now in twenty fourteen. Mm-hmm. But if it's mm-hmm. Only gone from 4x to 3x. That means the rate is slowing. 
I think as developers, if if you're an iOS developer, chances are you're probably not thinking too hard about adopting Android uh, for your for your app, you know. And it's you've got to take it by on a case by case basis. There are certain businesses that whose business plan requires them to be all over the place, and for them, you have to develop an Android app because money or not, I mean, there's you know if you're looking to reach an audience, then you have to be there. But for many people. Uh, it doesn't make sense. You know, you can think of small businesses uh, who have who've developed an iOS app. Why why would they go after Android uh, with with numbers like these? Yeah. Even, even with adoption being what it is, uh, knowing that Android users are, are much more reticent about spending money, which is <laughs> uh, already a huge problem on iOS, right? Right, right. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. It's, it's an interesting thing because, you know, I remember, I, you know, a couple of my apps about three years ago, I started localizing them. And I found that the the adoption rates in in Asian countries, when you know, when China, when they opened the floodgates to China, and you know, there was going to be all these extra devices uh, available, um, and I didn't really notice any significant um, any significant things. I think I mentioned before that Russia was my best country for localization, right? Yeah, right, right. I think it goes back to a lot of the same discussions we had, you know, a few weeks ago with the whole you know indie developer versus uh, you know, corporate developer, uh, where it depends on whether the app is the product itself or is the app in support of some other product. Yes, mm-hmm. excellent. And uh, so, you know, so for a big company, you know, United Airlines, let's say, uh, they need that app, you know, to, to support their other business. So they have to have an Android version. But if you're making a great game that, you know, you're going to charge a couple bucks for people to play, then you don't necessarily need that huge, you know, widespread adoption of, of everyone on the planet. So you so you may not need might not need the Android version. Yep, exactly right. Uh, the Samsung pitch to build the A9. Did you see like uh, whoever posted that one? Was that Tim? Well, okay. So this is follow up based on uh, our discussion a week or two ago about um, the lead that TSMC was getting over Samsung, hmm. and Mark had actually jumped in with his huge chip building knowledge and schooled us all. But yeah. me especially about <laughs> um, about chip manufacturing and this uh, this article that someone pasted in. Yeah, no, it was up. me. It was me. I, I, <laughs> okay, <laughs> it was me. I'm sorry. So the 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 interesting thing here was one of the things we discussed that time with Mark was is TSMC producing the A8 or is it Samsung? And at the time, it seemed clear that it was TSMC, but uh, that's not entirely true, as this article lays out. This is a loop insight. This, Dave Mark posted it there. Uh, it's mm. a Jim Dalrymple's site. And he states this without um, any apparent uh, support that uh, that Samsung's producing about 30% of the A8 chips, the rest being made by TSMC. We're not, you know, we don't see any source for that, but uh, there it's stated. Um, but then this this article is basically about how Samsung is looking to build the A9, uh, the putative next generation uh, ARM chip for Apple's uh, devices. So, and the reason they're getting that is because they have a 14 nanometer process, which is a big uh, step. Actually, it's a little step, isn't it? Ha ha! <laughs> Indeed. It, it yeah. is interesting. It just goes to show how huge of a company Samsung is that they have these completely independent divisions you know they have a chip building division that really has nothing at all to do with the with the phone building uh division 
which and, has nothing to do with their their appliances or right. their weapons manufacturing. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it, it's you know it's not surprising that Samsung would be trying to to get more business because uh, of course it's an enormous business. Exactly. Yeah. If you saw their, I just saw today their chart for the the way their revenues break down uh, between their divisions. Uh, their chip manufacturing is actually a pretty significant hunk of mm-hmm. of what they make per year, um, and you know, notably, their chip manufacturing. You know, we we respect them for what they do for that. We do not respect Samsung for their mobile division at all, hmm, just in right. terms of you know what they produce, who they copy to produce it. I think their chip manufacturing is pretty leading edge. So, uh, Aaron, you were telling me earlier, or telling us earlier, that uh, Apple is going to have has just announced a new October sixteenth um, announcement. So, can you fill True us in on that? that. Uh, yes, invitations went out today to various journalists, uh, inviting them to come to Cupertino to see Apple discuss. Well, they don't say what, but we know that it's going to be the iPad and Mac event. Um, the invitation features a crop of the Apple logo rendered in six colors as the original Apple logo was, mm-hmm. and with the statement, it's been way too long. So, uh, I was kind of hoping that we could have a little discussion, round table as we do, okay, about so what so you think been, they're it, going to it's announce. It's been way too long. It's been way too long. What does that mean? Well, I mean, they already came up with a Mac Pro, so Apple that was TV. way too long. Apple TV. 4K Retina display. displays. Yeah, retina displays. It's been way too long since we've wanted one of those. 4K mm. displays, too. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Well, okay. So let's talk about the things that I think they're going to talk about. So one thing is, I think it's a shoe-in, actually, is new iPad Airs and Minis. We've heard discussion that the iPad Air 2 may be fractionally thinner, uh, include the new A8 processor, Touch ID, and come in the same colors as the iPhone does, um, mm. including gold, right? Notably gold. Right. Um, to me, this, you know, is, is good. It's evolutionary. But, uh, you know, just like the iPhone 6 even, uh, which was fine, but uh, didn't. I don't think made it as the biggest announcement at Apple's last meeting. I think that uh, this will be interesting and good, and we'll be happy with it, and we'll move on. What do you think? Do you think there's going to be an iPad Pro? You know, the big giant. That's the next 12... thing I want to talk oh, about. I'm yes, sorry. I'm yes. Sorry. No, no, it's okay. Yeah, that's the next thing I want to talk about. Uh, there's this speculation okay, wait, wait, about wait. an so, iPad so Pro. Aaron, so Aaron, yes, 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 Tim, be... Tim. So, so Aaron, do you think there's going to be an, um, a, an iPad Pro coming out? Well, that's fascinating. It's wonderful that you should ask. Okay. Yeah, I I don't know. Do I don't do I think so? No, probably not. <laughs> but maybe. Well, I mean, so, yeah, they already made oversized phones, so why not make an oversized iPad? Why not make an oversized iPad? And maybe this is what we've been waiting for in terms of this size class thing being not just to support larger phones, but also iPads that support multiple applications. Is it possible that Apple is going to build an iPad? That includes features in the OS that we have not seen any other uh, version of the iPad. I don't know, but mm. it's possible. And just this last week, we saw a very well. To me, it was a hilarious n- news article proposing the idea that Apple would create a hybrid version of 
iOS that includes OS X functionality. So that with a single iPad Pro, you would have sort of like a Microsoft Surface, this this bastard child of both OSs running on one device. Which to me, of course, is the exact opposite of what Apple's been moving towards ever since 2007. So it seems incredibly unlikely, even though I would love that piece of hardware. Really? Hmm. <laughs> I think so. I, you know, for, for, for nerds like me, I think that would be fantastic. But in practice, I think it would probably suck. And well, I, I think there's sort of, there has like to be it. sort of a, you know, the, the Heisenberg uh, compensator kind of um, rule of Star Trek, you know, uh, Apple inspiration, you know, factors. In fact, wow. that, <laughs> the, fact that, the fact that we never saw a Starfleet captain hold anything bigger than the current iPad. <laughs> you know, there actually there were pads in Star Trek that were bigger than the really? Really? 9.7 inch iPad. Yeah, I've, we've seen some big ones. I don't know. My my favorite technology in, in the uh, in Star Trek lore is or Star yeah Star Trek lore is is the Heisenberg compensators. Are you guys familiar with those? That's really that the, the fake thing that. Yeah, it has to do with the transporter. The, the, oh, okay. The, the reality is Heisenberg was this guy who this dude who who determined that in order to measure the position of an elect in order to transport people from one place to another, you have to be break down their their atoms and whatever and reassemble them on you know the other side. Um, which raises a whole bunch of other things about what do you do with the original guy? Do you kill him off and keep the copy? But um, in order to, in order to break in order to do this, you have to measure the position of every neutron and proton and electron around an atom, right? And Heisenberg came up with this idea that if you it, there, it's such a small thing that even just the process of measuring the, um, the position of these things will influence where they are in around the, as they orbit the atoms and stuff like that. So in order to make the transporters work, Starfleet built in Heisenberg compensators. Of course. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. So what what was I even saying? Um, well, I was talking, uh, the about, I was talking yes. about the giant, giant iPad. And, and giant the, iPad. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, I, the maxi pad. I'm really looking forward to listening to this podcast so I can figure out how you got here from there. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho. Jim, were you um, saying you didn't get much sleep last night? <laughs> yeah. yeah. As a matter of fact, that, I didn't get much sleep. It's all coming back. <laughs> okay. So iPad Pro with hybrid OS X iOS. And I'm going to put a big no freaking way right beside that oh, item. Oh, this is a hybrid, hybrid Mac OS iOS? Hybrid, thing? yeah. As yeah, soon as no. you observe it, it, it changes and disappears. Okay. Oh. Maybe that's how you got here. Anyway. <laughs> Um, so I, I can imagine there being a larger iPad, um, especially if it allows multiple apps to run side by side. I can picture that. I can even say that that would be possible. But a hybrid OS running OS X in some mode and iOS in other modes just doesn't seem possible or, or at all what Apple's strategy would be. Hmm. So It would be kind of a okay. big thing technically. <laughs> I mean, that would mean OS X running on an ARM processor which it hasn't ha- hasn't yes. happened before quite right quite right uh, but well, you got to know they're doing it right yeah I mean, we've talked yeah. about this before well yeah too, they told but... it for years they told us that they couldn't run on intel and yet they had been doing it for five years at that point you know true hmm. yeah so, you know if you want a preview of what such a beast might look at you know look at uh windows 10 i mean that's precisely what microsoft is trying to do here right trying to marry yes. the the touch interface with the classic interface and I think hmm. Apple's position there has been really strong and clear. They're saying there's no way that's the right way to go, that the system, the OS, has to be true to the hardware it's running on. And I think if they did a hybrid OS, it would be a 
you know, them admitting that they were wrong all this time. I don't think that they would do that. Well, that was a Steve Jobs thing. I'm not sure that Tim Cook has ever actually said that. Has he? Yeah. No, you're right. I don't know. You know, his history is too short to really know for sure. Yeah. I think the Apple of today is much more, uh, much less reluctant to change its mind, change its course. Yeah. So I think the point here is that it seems so unlikely that, that Apple would reverse its course on the strategy that it's employed. And just just even the statement, you know, that to have the operating system be true to its hardware, you can't imagine Johnny Ive sitting in a room and looking at the result of an, a hybrid operating system on a device meant for touch input and be cool with that and not flip every table in, in the room. So that's my take on it. I don't know if you got anything else, but there is one more thing coming out of that event that, I, that I'm really interested in and probably the most interested in in this one, and that's the uh, 12-inch Retina MacBook Air. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just love saying it. Wouldn't you want that piece of hardware? Wouldn't you want that right now? To me, that, that is the perfect blend of you know, the, the beautiful screen that I have in my current Retina MacBook Pro, which is due for an upgrade. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Um, as well as the, the, the thin and lightness of the MacBook Air, which, which has more than enough power for me as a computer user, even as a developer. The MacBook Air was good enough. So having that MacBook Air size along with a Retina display is like the perfect hardware. And I'm really jazzed about it. I hope it comes out. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the, of the 13-inch Air. I went from I had a 15-inch Retina, and I went, I went back to the 13-inch Air twice since um, because I just found it that much nicer of a device in terms of weight and size. Um, you know, for me, so I, and, and I haven't really missed not having a retina display anymore, you know, so, um, yeah, somebody was, uh, do you think they'd do an 11 inch retina as well? If they were going to do that? Well, no? all the rumors are about a 12 inch. Yeah. Oh, so. sorry. 12. Yes. 12 inch. Oh, but yeah. no, not a 13 inch as well. Not, a, not an 11, not a 13, a 12. Oh, 12. Eh? Well, yeah. oh, that's weird. That's an odd size. Maybe it's because of the popularity in the public consciousness of the 12 inch PowerBook G4. <laughs> well, you know, th- there was yeah, perfect. that w- that was a nice little little device. It was really nasty to work on, but it was it was a nice device from a size format, right? But it was a four by three screen, though, right? Yeah. So, hmm. so mm-hmm. that's what I'm looking forward to. Do you guys have any thoughts about the event? I definitely do think that there will be um, announcements for upgrades to the iPads, I, I, the iPad Air and and the iPad Mini. I think both will come with Touch ID, or at least the larger one will. Uh, looking forward to that because I really, really love that in my 6 Plus. It's kind of annoying having to use my passcode or my PIN code oh, on yeah. the iPad. Touch ID is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it also helps, you know, presumably enable Apple Pay as well. Um, with that being not just only for physical payments, but also for uh, digital payments as well. Hmm. Um, cool. And Yosemite, right? Yosemite should be coming Oh, yeah, yeah. Back now. to the Mac. Yep. Oh, yeah, yep. of course. <laughs> Thanks for reminding yeah. us. <laughs> well, has it been that long since they released an OS? What, like a year? A year? Since Mavericks, you mean? <laughs> that is a long time in Apple Lane, Apple Land, you know? Well, yeah, it didn't used to be. <laughs> mm. yeah, it used to be you'd get an OS update every two years or so. but 18 months, I think, was the original, was the old uh, rule yeah. of thumb we used to use. Jaime, you mentioned a couple of uh, weeks ago, we just started getting around to it today, um, Estimote's iBeacon implementation. Do you want to lead into that? Yeah, so Estimote has had iBeacons out 
for a little bit more than a year now, I think, um, publicly available. Uh, they, mm -hmm. they, they let people pre-order much before that. And they're really kind of nice. They're, they're colorful, um, little, you know, bricks here, or, or, or they kind of look like rocks with angular facets. And they conform to the iBeacon profile. So if an administrator sets something up, you can do the proximity piece of what iBeacon supports, right? Where I, you can imagine you might have a store and as you walk up to a pair of jeans, you get a coupon for that. Or if you're at a museum and you're looking at uh, the Mona Lisa, you might get some additional information from you know the museum's app that tells you, hey, here's more information about the Mona Lisa, or here's a video, or here's some audio that plays with that. Mm -hmm. But now they've sort of taken it to the next level where they're providing an indoor location SDK for developers. So the idea here is that you get, um, I forget precisely how many beacons it is. It's, I think, four beacons that mm -hmm. you'd need to, to map a room at a minimum, you know, one for each wall. And then you simply um, sort of just walk up to each beacon at each point. And uh, I think you tap your phone on the wall or something. I forget the exact user uh, metric. But the idea is you put beacons on the wall. You take it, uh, a configurator app to say, okay, you know, get some telemetry from this point. This is the north wall. This is south wall, east wall, west wall. And then you can use their SDK, which is listening for the proximity and doing all the uh, triangulation, triad, lateration, technically, uh -huh. to say, oh, this person is in this corner. This person is over here, giving you a GPS-like location service indoors. So how is, is the idea that uh, someone does this configuration first and then the profile exists somewhere and, or does every user who wants to have their location tracked have to do this configuration step? No, it's more the former. So I'm, I'm not familiar with the, the intimate nitty gritty details of this, but this is pretty close to an area I used to work in, um, doing indoor location services over at a company called point inside. And we had our own SDK for other technologies beyond, you know, beyond, uh, <clears throat> pardon me for other technologies beyond just, uh, Bluetooth and GPS, uh, you know, using Wi-Fi, uh, mm -hmm. fingerprinting, and also uh, a couple other uh, technologies coming out of, um, Motorola and Qualcomm primarily. Mm -hmm. But this is something that, um, you know, your local mom and pop shop could do, right? So certainly a, a larger store like a Lowe's or a Walmart, these big box retailers can do this. But this is cheap enough where you go, you set up this profile. So somebody, some administrator sets up this uh, essential profile, this this fingerprint of what this area looks like. And then you as an app developer reconcile that within your app, right? And so you're asking like, hey, SDK, like here's the beacons that this person is seeing. Where are they in the in the room or in the office or, you know, any sort of indoor location where GPS is very, very challenging. Yeah. So the idea is with this SDK is you create a map of a given room or a space, and then it gets uploaded to this, to your app, I guess, or imported more, more accurately. Mm -hmm. And then anybody who's present in that space can get their basic, their XY coordinates. Right, on, right. Of their location in that space. Right. And so if you look up yeah. on, say, for example, Wikipedia, you can find out trilateration and how that works with, you know, three concentric, you know, three non-concentric circles. Right. And you, you take the intersections of those to figure out some area of uncertainty of where you are. And so you can imagine if you say, hey, I'm looking 
at beacon one, beacon two, and beacon three, and I have so much signal strength. The RSSI RISI, I think. Um, yeah, I've heard it referred to before. Yep. From you know is ten. I don't I, I don't remember the actual units. It's ten from this one. It's eight from this one, and it's three from this one. It's like okay, well, I'm much closer to this one, slightly over the left, slightly up in, in this direction. And you those can are decibels that it's measured in, by the way. So the RSSI, so, right? So that's what you end up you know, using, right? So there's a little bit of challenge with Bluetooth LE, and that it it's subject to to weirdness in the waveforms yeah. for things like water and people being made of water will make this kind of <laughs> challenging and interesting if you have a ton of people inside something like an Apple store, for example. Right, right. Um, but I think in most cases, it will work well enough, right? It, it's not going to tell you, hey, this person is one inch to the right of the other person. But if you're, you know, several feet away, it, it's better than what you'll get out of GPS, which in many cases can be 300 meters to 3,000 meters off, depending on all, you know, lead paint in your house or metal frames at a big box retailer. Because the radios are in space. <laughs> this is really interesting. Like I, I've been working with uh, iBeacons in my current project right now, and I've I've noticed just like you've said, Jaime, that they're kind of unreliable in terms of determining distance. You know, I I can tell you that you're close to a beacon, um, but like the core location APIs that you use for iBeacon kind of come with like three proximity uh, enums, basically immediate near and sort of in the area i can't remember what it's called but well in, they're in, very in, in, non-specific yeah, <laughs> yeah actually there was there's a good uh, there's a good talk i've seen a couple of times with uh, bob Cresson of ks technologies and he, right. did a, he did a talk at the 360 idev and i was just looking online to see if if there's a video of his talk but he go he went into quite a bit of detail in his last talk right. about um about you know the realities of, of actually measuring stuff with with um, uh, eye beacons and blue, low energy Bluetooth because yeah because of the whole RSSI and, and strength of batteries and it's the same similar thing to like geolocation you set how uh, accurate you want the, uh, the 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 proximity to be and then of course that chews up battery battery on the on the eye beacon itself um, but he actually gave us uh, he gave everybody at the conference a, a couple of eye beacons or at least one at at the NS North conference and one at uh, 360i dev for us to play with right yeah, and this is this is just the old AM radio problem, right? Where AM radio, the reason you got so much noise and static and all that is because the signal is is directly dependent on the the height of the magnitude or the amplitude of the wave that you get. And if it bounces off of things, or if it's going through, uh, you know, some area where there's where there's uh, some attenuation, like through a, a you know water based person, uh, then you lose signal. And and so the so the the uh, the signal that you're trying to measure is, is, is very inaccurate. And so it's the same kind of problem here with the triangulation that you're talking about, Jaime. Um, if, if one of the, uh, the signals is off by a little bit for whatever reason, battery or, or someone standing in the way, then your signal is, is just completely off. Uh, yeah. the, the cost here is you can buy two dev kits with three beacons each for $200. So, um, and that's what they say you need for an average room. Right, and that's for Estimote in particular, and I think they're yeah. on the mid to high end range of of beacons. Um, there are other companies that do more sort of enterprise class ones that cost much much more per beacon, and there are some who do uh, much more commodity beacon type things. That you know, these all vary in terms of you know how long do the batteries last, how 
consistent is their their waveform so it's it's not a perfect circ circle or sphere i guess there's there's all sorts of a weird oddities that can happen um and that talk at 360 iDev actually had a, a lot of good information about that that I think people should should take a look at. Um, but in terms of getting you most of the way there, uh, it, it's it's yet another thing that people can do, right? So there, we've seen people do things like indoor location, uh, even Google do things like indoor location at very, very large venues like airports, um, stadiums, you know, for various sporting events. But that's quite a bit of a different challenge because you can largely get away with using some measure of GPS because you want rough area. But when you go into the small in-store experience, like at a boutique shop or, or even something like an Apple store, even the, the larger ones, then you need something that's much more uh, intimate in terms of giving you your information. And you also want something that's not going to be affected by oh, we're in the middle of Chicago or Toronto and there's all sorts of huge towers that are impacting our ability to get GPS signal or even cellular network signal, right? And you're looking for, sure. for secondary connectivity like Wi-Fi and Bluetooth beacons. Do we have anything else? Well, I was going to say for the geeks in the crowd, I just dug up my notes from ours, from uh, 360i dev that Bob Crescent was talking about and he was talking about this last thing that we were just talking about with RSI, RSSI or RISI versus accuracy. People tend to prefer accuracy, but then that chews up battery. Um, there's three things within the within the iBeacon kit, um, three sort of properties. One is accuracy, so beacon.accuracy, um, and then beacon.proximity, which is an enum. And the enums are the ones you were talking about, Aaron, which is, you know, yep. near, far, indeterminate. I think it's the other one you were talking about. And then the other one, the other property that's in, in uh, the iBeacon framework is the beacon.rssi. Or Rizzi. So interesting stuff. I mean, you posted a thing about uh, Tumblr and their experience creating um, extensions before iOS 8 was shipping, right? Right. And, and even their, their issues with getting it to work on the production version of mm, iOS okay. 8. So in their okay. case, um, Tumblr, for those at home who may not know, uh, is really sort of a sharing platform, right? If, if you familiar with something like WordPress, you're, you're pretty much spot on with what it is, okay. right? You share, uh, it's a, a blogging platform. You could share text, you can share video, audio images and so forth. So just to lay the groundwork for that. So now in iOS eight, there's app extensions, um, in particular, the sharing extensions where you could say, Oh, um, I'm looking at this link. I sure would love to share this with Instapaper or in this case, share it on Tumblr right? As content, instead of having to copy the link, go into the Tumblr app or into the Tumblr website and, and post it through that process, right? So really reducing friction around that. Mm -hmm. And I think that was one of the things that was pretty exciting if you're, you know, creating an app that, that consumes that sort of content. Certainly if you're a social network or if you're um, some sort of utility that, that bookmarks things, that that's great. But there's sort of the, the reality of stuff. There's, um, in, in this blog post, they talk about some of the limitations that are, are known, right. That are part of the, the specified design for sharing extensions. But then there's also the reality of, oh, it turns out there's some pretty serious bugs or some pretty serious lack of foresight in certain areas on the design. Um, for example, they, they couldn't get background file uploads to work, even though this should have technically been possible, but practically wasn't right. And they had to work around that a bit. Um, there's some weird things like the sharing extensions can't set the status bar color. So 
you kind of end up with this weird user experience with, with, with poor color choices. And the, the most interesting one to me was you can't exclude your own sharing extension from your application's controllers. So if you're in Tumblr and Tumblr supports, you know, oh, okay, share to Twitter, share to Facebook, you can't say, oh, yeah, by the way, um, iOS don't show the Tumblr extension because we're in Tumblr and this doesn't make any sense. They should just use the normal UI for that piece, right? Right. And and they mentioned like, hey, you know, this is a reasonable thing that Apple might have, you know, say, okay, we don't want apps to be able to hide extensions because obviously if you have a competitor app, you could see how if people had the ability to programmatically hide extensions, uh, there could be some foul play there. But in this case, if you're in the app that the extension is coming from, there's really no particular reason why you shouldn't be able to opt out of having the extension show up in your own sharing menu. Yeah, that does make sense. It's weird. Yeah, it, it, it's just one of those weird things that, that I don't think that was a bug per se. I don't recall quite what the spec says, but it's just sort of a design oversight. And uh, there's another blog post that we can put in the in the show notes where um, this individual, Tom Harrington, is talking about uh, if you're creating... Um, different kinds of extensions. So for example, the today view widgets, um, there's some certain things you should just be aware of, like with regards to debugging, it, it looks like, um, Xcode and the simulator don't always put new code on there, even when you stop and relaunch or rebuild. So sometimes to just keep yourself from going mad, you kind of have to revert to caveman programming or caveman debugging techniques and put an NS log statement pretty early in your life cycle, right? That's just sort of the, the, FYI for folks, the more you know. But uh, yeah, it looks like a pain in the butt. Well, I, I don't know if it is. I, I'm actually doing a, I'm actually doing a piece right now on on um, extensions. Um, in particular, um, something to watch out for would be it's a piece covering um, one password and, and building it into your apps. But um, so I've looked into doing iOS extensions, and I really haven't really got into the meat and potatoes of it. But that's an interesting point because I, I do know. You know, some of my clients who, who might like the, fun the functionality of adding, a, you know, a sharing extension as an example, uh, wouldn't like the fact that that it kind of conf confuses with your own your own apps uh, sharing experience. Right. So it's kind of an odd, odd duck, that one. I think it'll probably get fixed. Yeah, like well, that, especially it, that one, you know, that that seems like one that needs to be. Fixed. Yeah, it's, it's sort of a like I said, and I think I mentioned before. Two weeks ago, I think I mentioned how the sort of landscape behind how um, iOS 8 extensions are, are built in your apps. It's, it's essentially you add another target, you know, you create a, a view controller for it, and that's pretty much it. And then you, you put some logic into it in terms of how it works with your app. And, and um, it then it, just, it sort of falls into the sort of same sort of idea as how documents are recognized on iOS. You know, other apps are, are able to see that you're your application is providing a, um, an extension that may may or may not work with within their, their app experience. A couple other um, quick tips here. Um, so we hadn't really t planned to talk about this, but it's, it's kind of on our list there. So I would highly recommend people pay really close attention to the new App Store review guidelines regarding extensions. Hmm. Um, so there was a, a sad story here of um, this launcher app, which was right. actually already in the store. Um, and the, the basic idea behind it, and we can have this, this link in the show notes as well, is you create these like shortcuts. And, and from the images provided here, like I can have a, a launcher piece that says, okay, well, call my wife or 
um, take me into Facebook, map my my directions home, all these kind of nifty things. And they have kind of an interesting little UI to to use to do that, right? And they're probably using something like the um, deep linking sort of thing to to do that into other apps. And then at some point, it just kind of got pulled out of the app store, right? And and there's a, there's a whole lot of speculation as to why that might be. Um, kind of my own opinion of, of why that might have been is they, they might very well have run afoul of a couple different rules. Uh, in the first case, they had two versions of the app. So they had a paid version, um, which gave you all the functionality, right? It was like Launcher Pro, I think is what it's called. And they also had a freemium version, which the app is free with the extensions, um, but they would show, I, I think, either like an app of the week or a suggested app, basically uh, advertising of some sort. It's like, well, okay. So with regard to the the extensions piece, there's a guideline right here. It says, you know, 25.3 apps hosting extensions that include marketing, advertising, or in-app purchases in their extension view will be rejected. So for hmm. the, the that freemium version, it's entirely possible that Apple might say, hey, that's not cool. You can't be advertising other apps right there on the Today View widget, right? Mm, like that, that right. they might've run afoul of that. And it's also entirely possible that they might've run afoul of um, a really, really old one that's in the user interface section, 10.4 apps that create alternate desktop slash home screen environments or simulate multi-app widget experiences will be rejected. Oh, mm-hmm. well, that mm-hmm. seems pretty clear, doesn't it? <laughs> so, so it's... It, you know, a lot of these things are new. That particular one's old, but a lot of these things are new. You know, there's whole new sections around test flight and health kit, home kit. Like, pay really close attention to those folks because Apple already kind of changes its mind and its mood as we have gone over the years with the existing ones and certainly doesn't really have its house in order for the new ones, right? They might say, hey, you know what? This isn't cool. Reject it. Pull it from the App Store. Right. And it's not like they haven't done that before. They, we We got caught with something where... I forgot what what the details were. We were trying to do something in in um, oh, it had to do with auto renewing subscriptions because that was one of one of our apps was going to be built around that whole idea, and no. it was possible. And then Apple pulled the plug on it just before our app was going to go into the store, right? And I, Mark, you remember this? We had I to do. rewrite yeah. the whole yeah. Yep. We had to re- rewrite that whole section, right? And change our whole marketing plan and blah blah blah. So um, speaking of test flight, though, I saw a post by. Uh, Justin, um, not Justin Bieber, but Justin um, Williams. Justin Williams about, um, and he's he's um, Justin Williams of Glassboard. Um, he, did he mention the other day that that uh, test flight currently only work doesn't work with like you can't just invite anybody at this point to the Apple sanctioned test flight. Like currently with test flight, uh, if I log into test flight now or I log into hockey app now, I can invite anybody I want and then you know get their get them to roll in, in the, uh, into the website and then get their UDID, you know, install it into my, uh, my iTunes account. And then I can distribute apps to them for testing. But I think what he was saying that is that, has anybody looked into that for test flight at all? Like, do you have to actually be an Apple developer to be able to test somebody's app? I haven't looked into it, but my impression was you have to at least have the free Apple developer program to do it. So you have to be, you have to be part you have to be an enrolled yeah developer. or well maybe that's strong maybe you just maybe you have to have an Apple ID. So hmm. I'll say I, I don't actually have experience with this, but it's it's right on my to do list of, of things to look at. Uh, so I'll give you my impression of where it's at from having seen just briefly a, a couple of tweets flying by around that, and I'd certainly love it if somebody sent us some follow up that really really set the record straight. But the dream for for test flight and what Apple told us at WWDC is. 
you'll have uh, up to a thousand uh, users based on Apple IDs, right? These are kind of like the external beta testing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and any apps that you put and distribute to them need to go through the sort of vaguely defined beta app review. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so Apple's going to look at our stuff that goes through? Yeah, and, and subsequent updates would therefore need to, you know, anything that has a quote-unquote significant change needs to go back through that beta app review. So it's a little unclear to me what exactly, you know, that means. But in any case, uh, they also had sort of a, a, a team-based thing where, okay, you can define up to 25 team members who could just immediately get things. So the idea here is, you know, if, if you've got a small company or a, a small set of dedicated test team, you know, they could get things immediately and you don't have to wait for Apple to do its beta app review. Well, I was going to say, because because I have a couple of enterprise clients that I work for on time time and time and again, and I use te- the, you know, the external test light and I use Hockey App with them in order to get them builds while I'm building their app. And, and you know, as you know, with, with enterprise apps, um, there's a little bit more, you know, you don't have to be re- have your app reviewed by Apple so that you can sort of uh, do some of these sort of weirder sort of things that you could you wouldn't normally do on the App Store apps. Like you like if you you build a launcher app for an internal, you know, to launch the company wide documents kind of thing. You know, right. Um, so in any case, what I just described was sort of like the promise, right? But yeah. what I saw from the tweets from Justin and a few others is a, a very different reality as it stands today, right? And and this is probably something that's going to be in motion over the next few weeks to few months, and that's that the only the 25 person team piece is there and the thousand piece is not there. So you can't have the broad distribution for beta testing mechanism right now, as of today. And those team members, when you add them to your team, there's not really good uh, role and admin separation. So I think they all end up having admin access to uh, say like iTunes connect, for example. Uh, which is problematic to say the least. That's Apple being Apple right now, eh? <laughs> Except the third Apple store, I think we'd call that, wouldn't we? Uh, <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah. I think we just need to back the heck off this thing right now. You know, we'll we'll just keep watching this and I'm not I'm not touching that with a ten foot pole right. until I hear that this thing is clear. Right. But when you get your gold ten foot pole, are you gonna touch it? Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. So there was a rumor a long time ago that uh, the 100 device limit had been raised to 200 devices. Has anyone ever seen evidence of that? No, I actually just went in the other day and added some stuff that I didn't really notice any difference. I think I'm, I'm still, I'm still, I'm still, as a matter of fact, yeah, I still saw that I was, I had like, you know, under a hundred to, yeah. to work with. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise. Yeah. Ditto. Okay, well, I think it's time to wrap up. We should probably go around the table as we usually do and sort of see if there's any new and interesting technologies that people have. And I think, um, Aaron, you have you have a pick for this week? Sure do. Uh, just today, we saw the launch of Panic's SSH app, Prompt. Prompt 2 was just released. Uh, it's a new version. It replaces the previous one, and it's, a, it's an upgrade. Uh, sorry, let me rephrase that. It's a new app, and it replaces the previous one, so you're paying for it again is the idea. Uh, sort of like Tweety 2 back in the day, if you remember that. Mm-hmm. Uh, with with much less rage, at least, that I could detect. So anyone who bought the first version will have to buy the second version. And um, 
if you have need to access remote servers uh, from your from your iOS devices, uh, Prompt is the way to do it. It's such a terrific app, and it includes some new features. Uh, the last release that Panic did was just last week or the week before, and I mentioned that as well, Transmit, which brought a new feature from Panic called Panic Sync, which allows you to have your credentials for any particular server that you access uh, accessible across devices. Oh, so, cool. yeah, as for Transmit, you could have your your server settings sync up to other Transmit instances, say, running on your Mac. And sadly, there is no Transmit for the Mac that supports this yet. <laughs> when it does, though, all my Transmit saved servers are going to pile into my iPhone and my iPad, and I can't wait. Um, and Touch ID support, better security, nice new look, uh, now including Clips. The great thing I like about trans, uh, Panic Sync. Ugh, listen to me go. The great thing I like about Prompt. That's is, why we love you, buddy. Thank you, and I hope that's why I love you too because you edit this crap out. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah. The thing I really like about Prompt is the the way that it manages the keyboard. So when you're in in the shell managing servers, you often need all these special keys: the slashes, the tildes, the 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 tabs, arrow keys, things like that, which are famously inaccessible on a standard iOS keyboard. The keyboard in Prompt includes the sec- uh, an extra row at the top, which is configurable and makes it super easy to manage all those special keys. So it's it's actually really uh, quite pleasant <laughs> to SSH into a remote server from your phone. And so I heartily recommend Prompt if you are in any way responsible for remote service. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, no, I was kind of, I was kind of wondering what the... Because the, I do, I do on a regular basis, have to, to uh, open up a terminal session to one device or another. And I was really glad that you brought up Transmit. I, and I didn't use Transmit as, a, as an FTP client on the Mac, but I started using it on um, on iOS, and I haven't haven't really got around to doing anything with it. But yeah, the SSH thing and being able to see what's going on in the servers is... is Hands down, a number number one thing on my list. So for sure, and there's one more thing I want to mention too is that another recent release uh, feature of iOS eight. I don't know if it's actually tied to iOS eight, but it's new anyway. Are app bundles, so developers can take s- their apps mm. and put them together in a bundle, and and that's what Panic has done with Transmit. You can buy Transmit and Prompt together for sixteen ninety nine or ten dollars for each of them individually, and just like um, sorry, let me start that again. You can, if you've already got Transmit, like I did, mm-hmm. you can you can complete your bundle for ah. th- the price difference. Um, so you can still save as if you had bought the bundle if you have already bought one of the apps. Cool, yeah, because I, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was just thinking, oh, I already bought it, you know? Yeah, it's all good. All good. Go back in. Okay, so Jaime, do you have anything uh, new for us this week? I do. And continuing my theme of talking about widgets and extensions, I've got an app to talk about today called Widgets. It's WDGTS, and we will have the link in the show notes. And it's pretty much just an app that is a collection of widgets. Like you go to the main app and it's really just to help configure the widgets or to teach you how to use them. But it provides some some interesting, uh, useful utilities if you want them, right? You've got a uh, calculator that you can have right there in the Today View. Perhaps not so great on iPhone, but on the iPad, which doesn't come with a default calculator. Totally handy. If you live near um, Canada, like I do, a currency converter is something that I probably wouldn't have you know, all the time. But if I'm going to go on a weekend trip, turn that thing on. 
mm-hmm. time zones as well. Um, just like this podcast is a transcontinental multi-time zone experience. Uh, mm-hmm. Or if you're going to go travel or if you're interacting with people, you can just say, oh, we're a people in New York, California, Singapore. Uh, pretty handy. Um, also, the calendar view, which gives you a full view of the month, which sadly the standard iOS one does not do. And that's a great sense of pain for me because I always had to tap on a meeting event to go into the calendar if I don't want to go rooting around or searching for the calendar app. And it's sort of the bringing up the rear is the photo frame. So if you have some favorite photos you want to see from like your recent trip to Hawaii, you could configure that and it just sort of shows those. So this isn't uh, like a huge app. It's I think there's some interesting utilities here uh, that might be a varying use to people. I, I use a couple of these, uh, primarily the calendar myself mm-hmm. uh, on a daily basis, uh, excuse me, on a daily basis, use that. Um, but I think from a business standpoint, this is kind of interesting where people could create apps that are really just collections of widgets, right? So you could imagine other things like um, if you're into location services as a business, you might want to have a utility that says, hey, like what's your lat long position? What zip code, what city, what neighborhood does that belong to? There's a free app idea out there for you guys. Oh, cool. One of the things I, I found when I was tooling around on the internet this week doing some research and stuff is I found a post by Ben Sherman. I hope that's pronounced correctly, called 75 Essential Tools for iOS Developers. And it's a whole, it's like a, one of these aggregate pages where he's listed off a whole bunch of different things that you can use to, in your developing of apps, you know, um, whether it's uh, planning design tools like briefs or sketch where you can actually assemble. Um, it's an, these are, these are, uh, and they're, these are paid for apps actually that, uh, allow you to send or assemble iOS components together to build your your uh, your views, if you will. Um, and he's got links to some of the uh, um, Photoshop files, like the one from TN and Lax, uh, where they put a whole bunch of iOS 7 components together, and you can build um, in Photoshop. You can build uh, views that way. Um, he's got a link to something I had just downloaded before I found him, actually called Banjo Actions, that allows you to do things like. Uh, Banjo actions are actions that go into Photoshop that allow you to create uh, icons using a grid for your application. And, and um, some of the actions that he has in there are automate the whole process of creating all the different size icons that you need in your app. So, you know, you need your 1024, your, you know, 144, your 172, your 54, and so on and so on. I forget, you know, 29 pixel and 40 pixel at, at 2x and so on and so forth. And I'm sure the 3X is going to add even more to that. And he lists things like Git. Um, it, so it didn't, I noticed he didn't list the Git app, though, in here. Um, you know, and some things like Xcode plugins, if you're, if you're working with um, CocoaPods and stuff like that. Um, you know, some, some utilities you can put into Xcode itself to actually improve the experience. Um, talks about um, other types of... Um, Things like Vim and XVim and ColorSense and some uh, things like one of them was kind of cool. I haven't really looked at it yet, but there's one called KS Image Named, which is an extension you can put into into Xcode. That so when you're typing in an image name, it'll autocomplete the names of the images that are in your app right in the code, which is kind of a pet peeve for me. Um, and a bunch of other stuff. So it's kind of a cool little site, and I'll put a link to that on the show notes. So 75 essential tools for iOS developers. Um, the other thing I want to talk about too is, is, um, I've been using, you know, various PDAs. I had a Newton in the original day and I went through the Newton, all the different kind of Newtons and 
Sadly, those were stolen. I had to switch over to Palm OS. And, you know, I've been trying to work with tablets for a long, long time. And I, and, you know, I was a huge fan of the iPad when it first came out. And, you know, that's why I'm, I totally became an iOS developer because of the iPad. Um, but the challenge for me is because uh, I come from an artistic background. A lot of times I want to draw things, right? And, you know, I want to sketch things out on paper. Or I'm talking to a customer and, you know, we'll pull out a blank sheet of paper or a notebook or whatever. And I'll draw things to try and explain what I'm talking about visually in, in picture form. So I've tried different things. I have a keyboard for my iPad mini now to, to facilitate typing when I'm in meetings. Um, I've got the little stylus pencils for doing sketches using Adobe Ideas or, or um, Alias Sketch. Um, but I was in the local Best Buy the other day and I saw this book that said it worked with Evernote and it's, it's from Moleskin. And it's just basically a sketchbook, and it's, you know, 8 inches by 5 inches or so, or 10 inches by 5 inches. And it's your typical, you know, bound notebook. But interestingly enough, the lines in it are actually little are, are dots, right? And what, the way it works is you can draw something, you can sketch something out on here. And the biggest frustration I have with notebooks, paper notebooks, is they're impossibly hard to index, and you're going to look through things and... You have to remember where you worked on it or whatever. So I've got years and years of, of, of these three, you know, the coiled notebook type thing, right? So, but with, with the Moleskin uh, implementation with Evernote, Evernote has a document camera in it. And you can take a picture of the Evernote page or the book of the, in, the, in the Moleskin page. And because of those dots, it's actually able to uh, straighten it up and, li and line it correctly in Evernote. So it's kind of a cool way to capture what you're writing down in an analog fashion into your Evernote. And then, of course, you've got it on all your devices, and you can sync from your iPhone, your iPads, and so on and so forth. Um, and apparently, I couldn't get this working. and really wasn't that, you know, really wasn't trying very hard to get it to work. But apparently, it also does optical character recognition if you send the note up to Evernote servers, which is kind of another cool thing. Something that's maybe missing on iOS as well. So that about wraps it up for what I've got to add. Um, that sounds pretty fantastic. Which? <laughs> Which? The thing you were just talking about, oh, the Evernote notebook. The Moleskine. Yeah, Moleskin. yeah it, was, yes. it was like 30 bucks. At, uh, it, was, did, it was in the checkout line at Best Buy. Did you get it? I did, yeah. And it comes... Okay, so it comes, do you... Do, okay, well, go ahead. Yeah, it comes with... And it comes with... Which I didn't use, but it comes with a three-month premium... Um, uh, description for uh, for Evernote. Yeah, it's it's cool. I mean, it's literally you know a pen and paper book that I can I can now capture, and I can use. I've I've got a couple of other apps that I've used to capture receipts and stuff like that, and, and in the past. But yeah, this this is uses the, the camera on the iOS device, and you know I guess the the uh, recognition of the dots on the paper, and it, it digitizes your analog notes. You know. Wow, and it works see, well, huh? Because I've, I've oh, been yeah, interested in that. Super, super, super. Yeah, I can I can post a couple of shots that I took, and, and you can see like I, I actually tried one with my regular cold notebook to just because I want you know I want to see if it, if it was the dots that were really making a difference, and it totally is, right? So I took a picture of my regular old you know three subject notebook cold thing uh, coiled thing that I you know get, and I took it with this another one with this, and and yeah, it's it literally goes right into right into Evernote, and it looks crystal clear and. You know, the tech current, it sharpens up the text and a whole bit. It's kind of really cool. Very interesting. You know, there have been um, notebooks or note solutions anyway that use a grid paper with known coordinate systems. Yeah. And I don't remember what they're called, but they, they rely on an actual pen. Yes, light, light I pen I think it's called. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's there's been several. Um, so, yeah. Um, I You know, I'd be interested in, in hearing your report back on that one. 
after you've had a chance to use it even more. Well, so and the th- well, I can tell you, like within like two minutes, it was like I'm sold because I, I bought it and I thought, oh, I'll, I'll take it home and try it out. And you know, I it was my my other my current notebook is I'm at the end of the notebook, so I was trying to buy a new one anyway. And yeah, and then when I saw that this thing, you know, it's even got the little elephant on the front cover. It's embossed in there, which is kind of cool. But um, yeah, I mean, everyone's been doing a lot of different different you know uh, parts, you know, desk accessories and stuff like that. They're getting into they're sort of branching out and diversifying a bit of their their stuff, I guess, to try and capture some of their their money back and that they put into development. But um, yeah, it's it's a really cool little experience, and and I'm really happy I, I sort of stumbled across it, you know. Um, all right, so uh, that's about it for the today's show. Um, Aaron, uh, where can people find you? The usual spots, at Aaron Vey on Twitter, Aaron.Vey.ca on the web. And Hami, where can people find you? At Dev with a Hair on Twitter and www.devwithahair.com. And Mark, where can people find you? Mark R at smapsoft.com or www.smapsoft.com or at smapsoft on Twitter. And sometimes I'm in L.A., sometimes I'm in San Jose these days. <laughs> in, ho- on, in Hollywood, California, specifically. That's right. Um, my name is Tim Mitra. I'm here in Toronto, Ontario. I can be found at itguy.com, it-guy.com. Um, and I am Tim Mitra on Twitter and uh, what's it called? LO.co. Um, and that's at T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. Um so I also just want to think. I think we mentioned last week that we uh, we added a uh, at more than just code podcast uh, Twitter account. So that's mtjc underscore podcast at Twitter, um, and we've also just launched a new website for the uh, for the podcast. So I'll, I'll continue to put the podcast on my own site itguy.com, but I'll also put, be putting it on uh, mtjc.fm. So more than just code pod cast it on mtjc.fm and that's about it for this week and we'll all say goodbye mac is sleeping so he's not gonna bark so see ya bye Bye. if you want to find out more about the show you can visit the more than just code podcast page on the it guy website at www.it-guy.com there you can find show notes and a summary of each episode we also list links to items we talk about on the show and there are links to the apps on the app store if you like the podcast you can also leave us a comment on the website also please write a review on itunes it really helps others find out about the show and if you follow us on twitter you can always retweet our tweets about the show thanks I listened to the Accidental podcast for the first time. Ah, yeah. And uh, they did, they basically did F you, and then they that's, had no, no time left. That's all their show is. is <laughs> it's it's kind of okay. embarrassing. Okay, when you when you introduce Nothing. me, I'm going to say, "How's it going?" I'm going to take Jaime's uh, intro there. I'm just going to steal. <laughs> oh, it. you should you should have done it. You shouldn't you shouldn't have mentioned it. Well, no. I, I need him to know that I'm doing it. That's the key. <laughs> okay. <laughs>